Christian nationalism is a growing threat to pluralism, our democracy, and to historically marginalized groups. Transgenderism must be eradicated from public life entirely. It is also detrimental to the faithful Christian witness in America. That's why we get called. Well, you're a Christian nationalist. You want the kingdom to be the government. Yes. You want God to come and overtake the government. Yes. You want Christians to be the only ones that, yes, we do. We've turned the other cheek, but it's gotten us nothing. What is Christian nationalism? How is it manifesting in culture? And how do we find better ways forward in our faith? In this new monthly segment, Dr. Andrew Whitehead, Associate Professor of Sociology and author of American Idolatry, How Christian Nationalism Betrays the Gospel and Threatens the Church, joins me to pull back the curtain on Christian nationalism in the news, cover the latest sociological trends, and offer a better path forward in our faith rooted in the radical inclusive love of neighbor. Well, this is a brand new, hopefully monthly segment. Andrew Whitehead, uh, scholar of Christian nationalism, sociologist, all the good stuff. Great to have you with me. For the audience out there, we've been talking behind the scenes for a bit because there's so much happening in the Christian nationalist world, and those tentacles really touch everything regarding culture, politics, theology. And it's important that that we're helping, I think, the audience understand how deep some of these roots go. And having someone of your caliber join me once a month, I think, I think is really great. So thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Definitely glad to be here. Not always glad about what we have to talk about, but I think it's super important. So this will be really good. It is. So this is our first one, okay, friends? So so be patient with us here as we navigate some of this stuff. But our goal is to do a couple things during these segments. One, we want to show Christian nationalism, Christian nationalism in the news. We want to mm-hmm. show some clips of Christian nationalists talking about things that should make us go, ooh, that sounds problematic. And then we mm-hmm. do want to show where the data is. So that's where Andrew's really going to come in and kind of ground what, what we're talking about in data and research. And then we do want to give people a palate cleanser. So the goal is to talk about something a little bit happier at the end of this that is sparking joy for both Andrew and I. So we, we, we want to end on, on a happy note. That is the goal. Does that sound good to you, Andrew? Yeah, that sounds great. I think it's right, important cool. to see what's happening and yeah, look at resources too. So that'll be wonderful. I agree. So here's where we're going to start, friends. This is this episode's all about the border. There's a lot happening right now, and I'm going to try and distill this information to you as, as quickly as I can, but there's a lot to get to. So here's what you need to know. Right now, as of this recording, this is Monday, January 29th. We're going to have this out on Wednesday, and the situation is ever-changing, but here's how things currently stand. Razor wires have been up at the Texas border as part of an order by Governor Greg Abbott, who I would argue definitely dabbles in Christian nationalism. Now, Biden and and his administration have been fighting Greg being able to do this. And the Supreme Court, which is interestingly enough, was is really a Trump appointed court, voted five to four in favor of the Biden administration having the authority to take down those razor wires. But Mm -hmm. Governor Abbott said, nope, I can defy these orders. And he had the Texas National Guard put up more wires. And now there's kind of a standoff happening between the Texas government and the federal government. Now, interesting points to to note about this. 25 state governors have signed a statement supporting Governor Abbott's right to self-defense. These are Republican-led states. And the logic goes like this. We're being invaded. Texas has the right to defend itself from invasion. 
Now, a couple of things about the immigration piece, and then I don't want to get into what the politicians are saying. First off, it is true that the U.S. has seen historic numbers of apprehensions at the border and points of contact. But this is driven by what's called push and pull factors. And I'm citing the New York Times here. So there are some push factors, such as destabilization of other countries like Venezuela. There's been a lot of instability there. We're actually seeing a, a major surge of people who are not just Mexican, but of other, other countries as well coming to the border. And also, Biden has had a more welcoming tone for immigrants, even more so than Trump um, or Biden. He said, quote, if you want to flee and you're fleeing oppression, you should come. He said this during a 2020 campaign debate co-hosted by Univision, which has a large audience in Latin America. So that's New York Times. Now, it's important to also recognize that there's kind of two narratives happening, okay? Narrative one is your Charlie Kirk, Turning Point USA, far-right Christian nationalism that's saying, hey, we're under attack. America is under attack via this invasion of drug cartels and people who want to destroy the country. Some people, and we've covered this before, like Charlie, say that this is a planned invasion to really dilute the white European vote in favor of a more democratic agenda. So that's certainly one way to think about this. And I will say this is straight. What Charlie is advocating for is what people like David Duke from the KKK have advocated for as well. The term is called the Great Replacement Theory. So there's a lot of this language happening of we're under attack and there's a lot of God language, which, which we're going to demonstrate in a minute here, Andrew, happening mm -hmm. around that side of the conversation. But a couple other things. There's another side that says, well, look, here's the bottom line. Right now, data-wise, the type of migrants that are coming to the U.S. border are mostly family units. In fact, and also a study that was done by the DOJ, and this, and this is 2020, we, we, we don't have any, I couldn't find anything more recent, but as of three years ago, the study found that undocumented immigrants have substantially lower crime rates than native-born citizens and legal immigrants across a range of felony offenses. Relative to undocumented immigrants, U.S.-born citizens are over two times more likely to be arrested for violent crimes, two and a half times more likely to be arrested for drug crimes, and over four times more likely to be arrested for property crimes. This was done by the DOJ. So you really have two narratives here. Now, I don't know anyone that's advocating for not having a border or not trying to overhaul our immigration system. Obviously, no one wants fentanyl coming in. No one wants even the, the, the plight of migrants who are oftentimes exploited by human smuggling rings. It's clearly a problem. Biden acknowledges it's a problem. And so they, they do. It seems like there's common agreement there. But one side is pretty much saying we're under attack. The other, I would argue, side that's maybe has some data behind it saying, well, it's not exactly that, even though it is a problem. And the last thing I'll say, and then we'll get into maybe some of the clips here, just so we're getting 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 everyone up to speed right now in 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 the House and in the Senate and Congress and stuff. They are negotiating a possible deal to give the federal government more authority to even, quote unquote, shut down the border completely. So Senator Chris Murphy, he's a key negotiator on a possible border deal, said Sunday that a, a compromise could be ready to go on the Senate floor in the coming days. Quote, we do have a bipartisan deal. We're finishing the text right now. Murphy told CNN's Dana Bash on State of the Union, adding that the question remains whether Republicans are going to listen to former President Donald Trump, who has tried to tank the compromise. Quote, we are sort of finalizing the last pieces of text right now. This bill could be ready to be on the floor of the United States Senate next week, but it won't be if Republicans decide they want to keep the issue unsettled for political purposes. So 
There is a lot of layers here, friends. I know I gave you a lot at one time, but you should know that Donald Trump is talking to some of the more hardline right-wing Republicans, trying to get them to stall the bill because obviously this plays to Donald's strength for the 2024 election. So that's just the 30,000-foot overview, okay? <laughs> and now we're going to zoom in. Andrew, is there anything you wanted to add to what I just shared before I get to more of the Christian national side of this? Yeah, no, I think that was a great overview. And I think the key point too is the razor wire was around and the reason that the federal government wanted to take it down is so that the border patrol agents could get to the area they needed to in order to do their jobs and so yes. in some sense the razor wire is there to keep the federal government from doing the job of protecting the border or taking in undocumented immigrants into the system and starting that process and so it isn't as though the federal government just wants to tear down any like anything it's the fact that it was around an area that kept border patrol from doing their job which i think is a little bit too of a, of a nuance to the story where it is kind of it's this kind of playbook of creating a political issue or problem or chaos like you said tim with trump wanting to keep this going it benefits it politically right if yeah. it, if, if if the problem doesn't get solved it's it's of a benefit so yeah. No, I, I definitely agree. And we should also point out that there was a report that, that several mig uh, migrants actually drowned and, and the Texas, I guess, Border Patrol agents working for Texas stopped the federal government agents from getting to those migrants. And there was a big controversy right. over being able to potentially save them from drowning or not. So there's a lot yeah. going on. The razor wire is hurting people. It's hurting migrants. It's damaging them, etc. So friends, that's what's going on. Now, of course, there definitely is... I wouldn't even just say a, a Christian nationalist angle. This is really being underpinned by that Christian nationalism that we've covered many times now. And I want to yeah. start here. So here's what's going on. There is actually a take back our border movement happening. Okay. I actually have a screen here. I'm going to pull it up so we can all see it. There we go. Take our border back now. This is happening February 3rd. A uh, third, 2024, they're calling it a peaceful assembly. The main person behind this is this person here. His name is uh, Dr. Pete uh, Chambers. He's a former Green Beret. He was what sounds to be like a, a medical doctor on the front lines. And here's what he says on his website. Quote, a call to action. Fellow citizens and compatriots, we are besieged on all sides by forces that are bent upon destroying the very fabric of our liberties, the Constitution. In 1983, I put on the uniforms of this great nation to protect the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. In May of 2022, after becoming a DOD whistleblower and testifying against the DOD in federal court, I retired from the service and put on a new uniform, the full armor of God, and stepped out into another area arena, that of ministry. And he go, he started this thing called the Remnant A-Team, which, Andrew, we both know Remnant should right away be like, oh, that sounds like it's coming somewhere from the Bible. And mm -hmm. so essentially he has started this whole march that is happening that is committed to taking back the border in the name of God. And I have a little montage here. This is our Christian nationalism in the news of Dr. Pete Chambers talking here on the Alex Jones show. Listen, friends, to what he said, just so you can get an idea of the language behind it. So in, in battle, there's there's chaos, and we are we you you could see the pictures there. I mean, you're seeing it. It's chaos. It's complete chaos, and it's meant to overwhelm. But it, I'm a man of faith, and I believe that that God chose Gideon for a reason. He he whittled it down to 300 severely intelligent men, and that were willing to fight, serious men just like us who understand battle. 
And so this is where we're at. And and so I can't go into the details of it, nor nor should I, but just say that just understand, Texas, that there are people standing in line right now who are paired up with local law enforcement who are helping out. Yeah, the lawlessness that, that's ensued is now resulted in this second, third order effect of us having to stand up by God's own hand and and make this line in the sand that I'm talking about that's got the globalists on their heels, on their spurs. And they are on their heels. Exactly, like I said, it's it's. And that the enemy's simple. scared. Why do you think they're so scared? Because they are. They admit they're scared. Well, they 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 admit they're scared because they see the power of God, and that's a fearful thing that puts fear in in their eyes. But it also, they see the power of the people. So keep going. So exactly, don't let all these attacks go. Oh my God, it's terrible. No, this is an attack. It's our historical no. chance to beat it. No, because we don't live in a spirit of fear, and I'm going to share a scripture. Is that okay? Please. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. This kid taught it to me in downrange. This is what kept him alive until the day that he took around and, and ended up letting me go on. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, present your request to God, and the peace of God transcends all understanding. will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So I lived every day after that, learned that thing, learned it hard, and prayed my way through combat so that my hands would stay steady when I was stopping somebody's bleeding or putting their guts back in their belly. There you go. There you go. So this is, this is the person behind taking back our border. Andrew, you want to give some thoughts here? Yeah, definitely. Well, I think, you know, it's always good to start with when we're when we're talking about Christian nationalism. What exactly is that? And what are we talking about? Because as we hear those quotes and we see what's taking place, there's an actual, you know, political event and issue going on, but then these other aspects come into it. And and so what is Christian nationalism and how does it relate to this? So Again, Christian nationalism, as it's defined by social science and with data that we gather, is a cultural framework. So that just means a collection of myths and traditions and symbols and narratives and value systems. And all of these things together idealize and advocate for a fusion of a particular expression of Christianity with civic life. And so it holds that this particular version of Christianity should be the principal an undisputed cultural framework in the U.S. and that the government should preserve this cultural framework. So again, the, the key point there is the particular expression of Christianity, right? So there are a lot of different expressions and, you know, this channel is an expression of one type and then there's many others. But mm -hmm. when we're talking about Christian nationalism, I think this story and, and some of what we're seeing about it, and especially the, the clip that you showed as we listened to Chambers talk about this, is, is it highlights these different elements of Christian nationalism, right? So one of the main elements of Christian nationalism is this traditionalist social arrangements that they believe are key to protecting society. So the ideal society is one where there are clear people at the top leading and others falling into place, whether it's men in charge and women support or marriage is ideally heterosexual. But all of these things wrap up to where this society is made for a particular type of person and people and families who have rights to civil rights, liberties, all those things. And the second main element is authoritarian social control. So this is just played out perfectly with the first clip of the video. So the world within Christian nationalism is viewed as a chaotic place, right? And we need strong leaders who, through the threat of violence or actual violence, defend those preferred social arrangements and hierarchies. So that first quote from the video, he says, in a battle, there's chaos. It's complete chaos. It's meant to overwhelm, highlighting over and over that the world is chaotic. We need to be afraid because chaos is all around us. And, and it always alternates between we need to be afraid because it's chaos. We need to do something because it's chaos. But then 
we're overcomers and we're conquerors, so there's no need to fear. So it's always this tension, right? And you see that in the, the clip. And then the next element of Christian nationalism plays into this whole story really importantly because the desire of Christian nationalism is strong ethno-racial boundaries around national identity, civic participation, and social belonging, right? So America is made for ideally natural-born white Protestant people. So it's this group that created the United States in this narrative. It's this group that should remain in control and central to its cultural identity and political leadership. And so immigrants, especially those who've been racialized as non-white, threaten those boundaries and the idea that this country is made for and by white natural born Protestant Christians. So when we're looking at how they see the border and who's coming over and some of the language that's used, it really is dehumanizing. And it's trying to create this us versus them, right? That this them is coming to take away what is rightfully ours. And so these elements then both the traditionalist social arrangements, a comfort with authoritarian social control, this strong ethno-racial boundaries around who is American and what is America, create this populist impulse, right? Where again, we see Chambers talk about this, where it's we the people, right? We need to defend ourselves and creates this feeling of victimization that these elites, and so if you go back to that clip too, when he talks about the globalists, yes, right? These elites are coming after us that really encourages folks to embrace this more conspiratorial thinking. So again, it's this idea that Christians, the true Christians in America who represent the true America are being silenced, persecuted, overwhelmed. And so when he's talking about globalists who are coming after us, again, it's this idea of this true nation is made for Christians like us, and we need to defend against the other. And many times that's you know racialized as non-white, anybody who, who might not have been natural born, all these things are seen as the enemy. And then we can move into some of what the research says, but I think that this news story and also that clip, knowing what Christian nationalism is and the elements of it, I think really helps highlight exactly what some of the logic is connecting these things together. Yeah, I think it's important to also say that we understand that there is a problem, right? Like, yes, there's a real right. problem, right? We have a system that is woefully outdated. It has not been updated in over 30 years in some reports. And it's an issue. And also for the sake of even the migrants coming, you, you want them here right. legally so they can pay taxes and get in the workforce and, and not be potentially exploited by unfair um, labor practices and stuff like that. So everyone yeah. benefits when you have an overhauled system that has a quote unquote secure border because to everyone's point, right? We don't want fentanyl coming over. We know it's a major problem right now. Those are sure. all real things. It seems like in this case though, the 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 source of what is causing that problem and the solution are where we really diverge between maybe our perspective and maybe a Christian nationalist perspective, right? Where we're able to say, well, there's a lot of complicated factors that go into what could be a surge of migrants coming to our border, as opposed to someone saying, well, no, this is part of a globalist agenda to remake the U.S. voting population so that way Democrats stay in power to erase people who are natural born citizens. I mean, th those are worlds apart in terms right, of the yeah. source behind it. Yeah, no, I think that's a really great point. And I think, you know, it really highlights too, seeing that there's a problem, like you said, right? There are issues here, but do we see those or is there an effort made to cast those on the other side or who are creating it as the enemy, 
right? And so again, it's constantly looking at these other people and, and denying the fact that these are humans and these are people that, you know, for the most part, by and large, are looking for a different life or, or a different start or whatever else. Do we see them as humans and do we have a system in place that treats them like humans? Or are we trying to, again, just keep them out at any cost, again, because of this fear of, of what's going on? So yeah, I think that recognizing there's a problem, but then how do we view those that are being cast as the enemy? What does that mean? And what does that signal? Yeah. As Christians, we definitely want to look to Jesus to be our standard. And when Jesus says to even love our enemies, we think about, well, even the approach that we're called to have, let's just say that, that mm-hmm. we held that view that, that, that there's some globalists out there trying to destroy America. The, the posture of that Christian still needs to be radically different than what we're seeing from the Christian nationalist perspective. So it's important right. because I think a lot of people want a better way forward in their faith. And it's like, well, you know, you can read the the Beatitudes to come away with, with a very radically different perspective. I want to just highlight this point and then we'll get into your data and your research here. But this is, or is it? There we go. This is an article from the Freedom Center. This is a Liberty University's thing. And this is an article by William Wolf, another pretty far right Christian nationalist. He says here, an open border brings chaos, violent crime, the human trafficking of innocence, illegal and deadly drugs and human misery. Therefore, the call for Christians to pray for a closed border is rooted in a biblical directive to pray that those in authority will bring about a quiet, peaceful life in the overall well-being of society. So again, Andrew, we see your language here, right? Chaos, 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 chaos. And so th- mm-hmm. this is not just this is not an isolated instance of one person who is doing this border convoy. This is kind of built into that Christian nationalist ethos of closed borders will bring about peace, prosperity, and quote unquote open borders, which I want to just emphasize, I'm not aware of anyone in our government who's advocating for wide open borders. I just want to be very clear no. about that. But, yeah. you know, quote unquote open borders or a different approach to immigration, we, we, we could say, somehow will bring about misery, despair, and ruin. It, that, that's mm-hmm. important to recognize. Yeah, no, I think it is. Well, and so, yeah, as we look at some of the language around this, right, I think some of so some of what we can look at and, and what I talk about as the idols of Christian nationalism are power, fear, and violence, mm-hmm. right? So as we're looking at this response to a real problem, but creating, again, as you just pointed out, this kind of straw man of, of people saying we need open borders, which just doesn't exist, is is this fear and, and power that power is being taken away. So the world and this border, again, is in chaos. And so we need strong men and rules to come in and enforce order, close the border. And the, God has called us to do this. And so, again, it legitimates this political view and, and essentially the, the group that's advocating for it in the plan of the sacred, right? That this is God's plan and what God wants for people. And so then when we're the idolizing of power, right, wanting to ensure that what we want comes to pass, then there's always a fear that underlines that because we with wanting to privilege ourselves and our group in American society, we fear that that power might be taken away, right? So again, these immigrants that are coming in this, that's where you hear this language of they're going to change this country for the worse. They're going to dilute it. They're going to move it away from what it was always supposed to be. The globalists that want to take the country away from us. Fear is always this, this next step. And then too, in, in the clip that you showed Tim, you know, he's talking about Gideon and the Gideon story, right? And he's talking about, you know, God calls these strong men to be willing to do whatever it takes to defend 
theirs, right? Our country from anybody that's trying to steal it away. So the language of this is a battle, this is a fight. We need to understand battle. We're paired up with law enforcement. We need to stand up by God's own hand, right? All these things. So when we're idolizing power and wanting to keep our hold on that, and then we have this fear of losing that power, essentially losing what this country was all about, violence we find over and over throughout history is a natural response. So when we're looking at these idols of Christian nationalism, power, fear, violence comes right after that because when we're trying to demarcate these boundaries of us versus them, we succumb to fear that something will be stolen from us, right? So violence then is in service of defending the perceived threats to us, the group, always around protecting power. And so when, you know, you showed the website, a peaceful what is a peaceful protest at the border Yes, or something like that, right? So I think this is really interesting and a key point when they're saying it's a peaceful, you know, assembly at the border, it's highlighting, you know, this, this view and, and kind of this knowledge that it looks like they're going to go there to fight and, and to embrace violence. But we know too, that the lead up to January 6th, there was this idea of we're just assembling. It's a peaceful, you know, assembly and all these things. But again, what, what we need to recognize is that when power and fear are at play, violence is a natural result. It always resort to that. And so for Christians, seeing these things in place where God's will is, or you know, our will is legitimated in the sacred, we have to be aware that that's that next step, that it can, that it can possibly be that next step. So, so here's a couple data points, right? And so right. Tim, I think you can pop these up. So when we're looking at Christian nationalism and surveying the American public, we find that Americans who embrace Christian nationalism are more likely to believe that, quote, immigrants are invading our country and replacing our cultural and ethnic background. Right. So this is data from a 2023 PRRI and Brookings survey where we can see ambassadors of Christian nationalism. These are the Americans that strongly embrace this idea that this is a Christian nation. The government should defend it as such. Over two thirds, right around two thirds, mm. are in agreement that immigrants are again invading our country and replacing our cultural and ethnic backgrounds. So there's this fear idea, this idea that country is being taken away, and immigrants again are seen as the enemy. So Americans that embrace Christian nationalism are more likely to believe that. And so we can see that you know the clips that we show or in this news story. Um, those beliefs are out in the American public, right? It isn't just these few people, but it's widespread. Now, the second figure is looking at some of the issue with this current um, problem that we see with creating these, whether it's a wall or floating barriers or the razor wire. And so this is the Americans who agree that God intended America to be a new promised land where European Christians could create a society that could be an example for the rest of the world. So that's the red bar. So these would be folks that embrace this idea of a Christian nation. Again, two thirds of them are in favor of installing deterrents such as walls, floating barriers, razor wire to prevent people from entering the country illegally, even if these endanger or kill some people, right? And so Americans that disagree with this idea that America was created to, intended to be for European Christians, about a third are in favor of that. So you see this dramatic difference Right. And so, again, viewing not only immigration or immigrants as enemies to be feared, mm -hmm. but then also something needs to be done, even if it hurts and or kills them. Right. And so as we think of, again, this the message of Jesus or what Christianity is or should be about Christian nationalism, I think, provides this provides the framework for understanding why we would see folks, you know, quoting the Bible, saying this is God's will, but then being willing to hurt and harm other human beings. And so 
the, the logic again there is we have to protect this country in order to protect ourselves. And that should be done at all costs, even the cost of life of those who are not Americans or like us. That is really helpful because I think a lot of us go, I don't understand. Like you just read the teachings of Jesus or the fruits of the spirit and none of these perspectives and what they're advocating for seem to embrace that. I mean, even the story of the Good Samaritan, a story I was told Mm -hmm. very young on in my life, being told that, you know, in the original context, right, Jews and Samaritans were not fans of each other. So what Jesus is saying is really radical and how things like that parable suddenly go out the window. And yeah. instead, we're giving a different framework to see the Bible through that somehow justifies why violence towards migrants, again, most of which are families, most of which are fleeing some kind of really hor- horrific situation. I mean, friends, just for a thought experiment, put yourself in someone's shoes. What would it take for you to pack up everything mm-hmm. yeah. and travel potentially on foot or by car by or by, by uh, train, et cetera, thousands of miles to go to a new country to try and start a new life because you were so desperate. We have to keep that in mind, right? The, uh, many of these people are facing extraordinary circumstances that that require a, an empathetic and humane approach while, of course, making sure that, that we're able to vet good intention actors from bad intention actors. No one's disputing that. But this whole system of empathy and love and grace and, and humanization gets traded, like you said, with your three big Mm. ingredients, right? The fear, the power, and then violence ultimately. So Mm. it's very important and helpful for us to be able to understand that. Yeah, no, I think that's a really, really wonderful point, just the empathy part. And and the question of, and who is my neighbor, right? So even in that parable, that's the big question. That Jesus leaves, you know, the the person with that he's talking to. And and the person knew like it's the the real neighbor, the one that fulfilled the law of God was the one that went and cared for the Samaritan, not those that may have, have looked otherwise. And so that's, I think, something that we should always be asking ourselves. Well, who is our neighbor and what do we owe them? And there's obviously more that we can talk about there. But yeah, I think that's a really key point. Is that your admonishment for us today? <laughs> well, yeah, I, there's a lot of different things. So I think a couple resources <laughs> that could be helpful. One is we, you know, you and I both have seen some different Christian leaders talking about what's happening at the border and especially Govern, Governor Abbott in Texas essentially pushing back and not listening to not only the Supreme Court, but the federal government. And so there's a really great column I'd like to point people to by Brian Kaler and Jeremy Fuzzi, and uh, they write one. it Word and Way. Yep, that's exact one. And Word and Way, this is a great newsletter. I, I recommend folks just give it a look and follow it along. They're constantly following kind of the Christian nationalism and, and religion and politics angle. And you see these folks talking about this idea of the lesser magistrate. And yes. what is that? Where did that come from? How does that get wrapped into this um, framework of Christian nationalism. And and if you read this, they do a great job of not only saying what's going on, but then how this plays into it. And so, yeah, I would point folks to that. I found that really helpful. And then too, you know, if if I can really quick, the book American Idolatry that I wrote, I guess it's over my my shoulder here, a whole chapter I devote to immigration and to, Mm -hmm. again, looking at how power, fear, and violence form these Christian responses or or underline these quote unquote Christian responses to immigrants and refugees that again deny the humanity and want to keep them out out of fear. And so that, you know, does that. Now one of the books that was super helpful to me as I was thinking about that was Obrey Hendricks has a great book called Christians Against Christianity. And he's got a whole chapter devoted 
to all the biblical commands to love the immigrant and the alien among us, right? So this was really helpful biblical scholarship to underscore and show that even though, and, and Tim, I love the point that you made throughout you know, the time we've been talking, that this is a really huge and complex social problem. So anybody that says we can just go to the Bible and really quickly and easily find the answer of what we should do just directly from the Bible, I think is really overlooking the complexity of all of this. But what we can do is go to the Bible and look for what are our values? What are our, you know the foundation of how we need to act towards other humans? That's what we can draw. And so, you know, Obery and, and my book and some others trying to highlight that we need to draw our values from that. But then what we do, we need to go to experts. We need to look at the past and law and find a creative way to, again, humanize those who others are saying are enemies and how to respond to them. And so I think that's kind of, you know, these resources. And so kind of the, the key admonishment is with a lot of the language we see around this, it's all about fear, right? And so Christian nationalism is encouraging us to live our lives as though our power and privilege are under threat, right? And so as Christians, should we act out of a place of fear where we're doing anything to protect that power and privilege, even to the point of jettisoning the central aspects of the Christian faith, Tim, like you said, right? This, how do we love our neighbor, the, the Good Samaritan story, yeah. where we treat others the way we fear we may be treated, right? That we're going to have our power and privilege taken away. But focusing on fear, I think, makes us bad neighbors, right? It, it keeps us from living out the call of Christ. So we can't embrace this Christian nationalist vision of Christianity that desires control and, and dominion when Jesus came to bring life and flourishing, Right. And so Jesus never gave us or promised us cultural political power. And he didn't tell us to look for those things, mm. but he wanted us through the power of service and love towards others to not fear others, but recognize how can we leverage our power and privilege to help those folks and embody flourishing and love towards them right? No matter who they are, wherever, no matter where they're coming from. And so again, we don't have to embrace this fear or this vision of chaos, but that we can take up, you know, we're commanded to take up our crosses, lay down our fear and follow him. And if that costs us, it costs us. But I think those are the values maybe that we should be looking to rather than this narrative of defending what's ours through any means necessary. Usually that includes violence. So that is some of my thoughts as I, as I look and listen to all of this. Well said. That was great. Let's end on a high note. Palate right. cleanser time. What yeah. is sparking joy in our life? I can go first. Yeah, it's go ahead. It's kind of, okay. I mean, it was sparking joy. Now it's over. The Detroit Lions run mm. was sparking so much joy. Oh, I'm, yeah, an Eagle, totally. I'm an Eagles fan. I've had to deal with, oh, with the Eagles totally yeah. falling apart at the end of the, the, the season. The I mean, what, what a, how do you start 10 and one and then just tank? I digress. So I will yeah. say, of course, at that point, you have to find a new team to root for. And the yep. Detroit Lions have an amazing story. It was their first time really getting some serious traction. And I was that game against the 49ers, I was rooting so hard for them. And they were owning in that first half. They were, oh, yeah. you know, as I used to say back in my gaming day, they, they were poning. They were just <laughs> owning the 49ers. And to see yep. that comeback absolutely killed me because I would oh, love man. to see Detroit destroy the Chiefs. I would just I would love to see it. But yeah. alas, it's not gonna happen. 
Oh, man. Yeah, Eagles fan, man. That's tough. That was a tough ending to the season. A, a brutal ending. A brutal yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. No, that's been, yeah, that's been fun to follow. I saw, you know, they had video of Ford Field during that game that was like full, just people watching it. Yes. Right? They were streaming it into yes. the stadium. But then, too, my heart kind of breaks as to what it felt like at the end of the game for all those folks leaving. That's they just a tough started one. so strong. But you they know what? Did. I mean, not yeah. to get too in the weeds, but 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 when you start going on like fourth and long and you're not kicking field goals yeah. and you're playing, you know, almost like you're playing Madden 2024, yeah. and, and yeah, at some totally. point your luck's going to run out, you know? Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. All right, so what's been giving me joy? So there's a show on Netflix called Love on the Spectrum. Have you heard I of this? I love that show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cry. So it, so it started in Australia. There were a couple episodes um, there, but then they had a Love on the Spectrum U.S. edition. And so season two just came out. So my, my spouse and I are, are watching through that. And there's a couple that met on season one. And they come back to us in season two, Abby and David. Do you know who I'm talking about? Maybe vaguely. So, I haven't watched it yeah, in a while. Yeah. yeah. So in, in, if you go back and watch season two, they take a trip together to Africa with some of their family members because they love lions. Abby loves lions. But just throughout the whole show, Abby and David are just so sweet. And to watch them build this relationship and obviously with you know love on the spectrum it's highlighting adults that have autism spectrum disorder or, or other aspects of their life and challenges but yeah lately just seeing their their relationship their love has been giving us joy and i just feel like if we protect anything we need to protect abby and david like just give them what they need what they want like they just bring <laughs> such goodness and care for one another it, it just really it's a really beautiful, you know, viewpoint of, of love and what it means to care for, for another person. So yeah, that, that show, but especially that story has, has been giving me joy and, and kind of helping in those moments as we all face kind of globally, but then even in our own lives, just some of the difficulties of the day to day. So yeah, yeah, no doubt. Awesome. Andrew, it was great having you on for our first installment of the Christian Nationalist yes. Roundup. Here we I'm, not go. Sure, I'm not sure what we're, we're going to call this long term, but you're you're a new regular on the show. So yeah. we'll talk to you next month. We'll see what's going on and we'll go from there. Thanks for being here. All right. Good to see you.